and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Shani Tarragon, and today we're going to begin our shiur by taking a look at the aftermath of the deaths of Nadab and Abihu. Immediately after reporting the deaths of Nadab and Abihu, the Torah presents a conversation between Moshe and Aharon. Pasuk Gimel, Vayomer Moshe Aharon, Hu asher diber Adonai leimor, Bikrovai ekadesh, Vialpne kol ha'am ekaved, Vayidom Aharon. Moshe said to Aharon, This is what Hashem has said. I will be sanctified in those that come near to me, Bikrovai Akadesh, and before all the people I will be glorified, Ekaved. And Aharon was silent. Note that this is actually not a conversation at all. Rather, Aharon responds with silence. Somehow Moshe's statement explains the deaths of Nadav and Avihu, and perhaps even consoles Aharon, and he is silent. But this is somewhat obscure. When did Hashem say, Bikrobai Akadesh, Ve'alpne Kol Ha'amekaved? And what is the connection between Hashem's sanctification and glory through Krovai, through those that are close to me or near to me, and the deaths of Nadav and Avihu? Rashi points out that Moshe's statement here is a reference to what we found at the end of Sefer Shemot, Parachavtet, wherein Hakadosh Baruch Hu says that I will come to the Oel Moed, Vinikdash Bechvodi, and thereby I will dwell within Am Yisrael. Describing the culmination of the process of Miloim and through the initiation of the Korban Hatamid, the daily sacrifice. So through this, God's glory will descend to the Mishkan and consistently dwell there. It seems that this is what will sanctify and glorify the Mishkan before all of Am Yisrael. What Moshe explains to Haron is that this prediction came to fruition through the deaths of Nadav and Avihu. For Perak Tetavayikra details how after bringing the final karbanot on the eighth day, how the glory of Hashem appeared in front of all of Am Yisrael in order to sanctify and dwell in the Mishkan. So Moshe tells Aaron, Bikrovai Akadesh, using the terms of offering, of coming close, of glory, of sanctification, reminding Aaron that Hashem's presence is now located in the Mishkan, just as Akadosh Baruch Hu had said what happened after the seven days of Miluim. If so, then according to this, when Adav and Avihu offered this non-mandated, strange Eish Zarah before Hashem, then they entered into the very presence of Hashem. Whether this means, as we described yesterday, how they offered the Ketoret and the Kodesh, or whether according to Chazal, they entered the Kodesh Kodeshim and improperly appeared before the presence of God, and consequently they are consumed. And it is no accident that they are consumed by the physical manifestation of Hashem, namely in the form of fire. The Nitziv explains that this Eshara represented an excess of love of God in their hearts, a bold desire to approach HaKadosh Baruch Hu. As Moshe explained to Aharon, Bekrovai HaKadosh, they wanted to get as close as possible to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and unwittingly transform themselves into actual offerings, into karbanot, as Moshe said, Bekrovai HaKadosh. But therefore, together with the other karbanot that were consumed on the Mizbeach, they too were consumed by Hashem. But today we're going to explore what I believe is the closest explanation to the Pshat. Whether we call this a sin or not, what Nadav and Aviyu did is explicated by the Pasuk as placing an Ish Zara Asher Lotziva Utam. If we even pay attention to the terms Ish Zara, we're familiar with the term of Avodah Zara, something that is strange, something that is foreign to God. And generally we refer to Avodah Zara 
as worshiping strange gods. But we know that Avodah Zarah is also a reference to worshiping Hashem in a strange way, or in other words, a way not mandated by Hashem. And this is exactly what we find in chapter 10, verse 1, Vayakrivu lefnei Hashem eish Zarah asher lo otam. The second clause interprets the first. What is this Esara? It may be a phenomenal fire, a way of expressing, as the Nativ said, love before Hashem, as a way of symbiotically responding to Hashem appearing in the form of fire. Nonetheless, why is it Sarah Asher Lotziva Otam? Because Hashem had not commanded Nadav and Abihu to do this. And as we alluded to yesterday as well, it could be that very soon HaKadosh Baruch will come to Aaron and in fact say, B'zot yavo Aaron Aaron, I want you to do exactly what Nadav and Abihu did, but this time it's going to be done B'zot, the way that HaKadosh Baruch commands, as opposed to what Nadav and Abihu did. We're going to continue with this approach as we take a look at the subsequent parshiot immediately following the deaths of Nadav and Avihu. As we just discussed, the very next psukim are where Moshe explains the death of Nadav and Avihu to Aaron, followed by the removal of Nadav and Avihu's bodies from the Mikdash, and then forbidding Aaron and his sons from acts of mourning and outlining the rules for proper priestly conduct. So let's take a look at these psukim and hopefully appreciate them more within the context of the deaths of Nadav and Avihu. So we continue now in Vayikra, chapter 10, verse 4. Vayikra Moshe, el Mishael vel al tzafan b'nei Uziel dod Aaron, vayomer alehem, kirvu, su et achichen me'epne ha-kodesh el michutz l'machane. Vayakrivu vayasa'um b'kuto notam el michutz l'machane kasher diber Moshe. Moshe called Mishael and Lutzafan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aharon, namely they are Levim but not Kohanim, and he said to them, You come near and carry out your brothers from the area of the Mikdash, take them outside of the camp. And as they drew near, they carried them with their kutonot, with their tunics, outside of the camp, just as Moshe had said. Vayomer Moshe Aharon ula Lazar ulitamar banav, rashechem al tifra'u, uvigdechem lo tifromu, velo tamutu, and Moshe said to Aaron and to Lazar and Itamar, his sons, Make sure that you do not let the hair of your heads go loose, nor tear your clothing, so that you shall not die, and so that God will not be angry with the whole Am Yisrael, with the congregation. But instead, let them, your brothers, the whole house of Yisrael, bewail the burning which Hashem has kindled. Pasuk Zayin, Omi Petacho Moed Lotitsu, Pentamutu, Kishemen Mishata Dunayalichem, Vayasu Kidvar Moshe. And you may also not leave the Oel Moed. You have to stay still within the doors of the Oel Moed, lest you die, because you already have the anointed oil upon you. And they did, according to the word of Moshe. We now continue with rules of priestly conduct. Pasukhet, Vaydaber Adonai El Haron Lemor, Yayin Veshechar Al Tisht Ata Ubanachi Itach, Bavoachem Al Omoed, Volotamutu, Hukat Olam Ladorotechem, Ola Habdil Ben Hakodesh Oben Hachol, Oven Hatame, Oven Hatahor, Ola Rotet Bene Israel at Kolachukim, Asher Diber Adonai Alehem, Biad Moshe. We find that these psukim are addressed directly to Aaron. Aaron has to be careful not to drink any intoxicating beverage, no strong drink, nor any type of wine as one enters the Oel Moed so that you shall not die. And this will be a statute forever throughout the generations. And this is so that you may be able to distinguish between what is holy 
and what is mundane, between the tameh, what is considered defiled, and what is tahor, what is pure. And also so that you may teach Am Yisrael these statutes, the statutes that were spoken by Hashem through Moshe. Without reading the remaining psukim of this chapter inside, we find that the continuation of these stories, or the laws, continue with a dialogue between Moshe, Aaron, and the remaining sons of Aaron concerning the proper consumption and a disposition of the karbanot that are made that day, followed by a demand for a missing karban chatat that had been burned rather than being consumed by the priests, and Aharon's response regarding the tragedy that had befallen him that day, Moshe's pacification, immediately followed by an entire chapter of laws known as machalot me'ot and tahorot, the laws of what foods in the realm of animals and fowl and uh, insects, rodents that may be eaten or not eaten, and then uh, different types of physiological forms of Tumat and Tahara that we find in uh, chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, only to conclude with chapter 16, going back to the regularly scheduled program of Aharei Moch Nebenei Aharon. Only then do we see an actual continuation of the chronological events that had started back in Perak Tet with Yom Hashmini as a continuation of Shivat Yimei and the inauguration of the Mishkan. So today we're going to try to explore what the relationship between these various parshiot in fact is, stemming from the narrative of Nadav and Avihu. If we look carefully back in chapter 9, recounting the events of the eighth day, the Torah makes extensive use of the terms karov, to come close, to approach, and to offer, and this is going to go hand in hand with the term tziva. For example, if we look back at chapter 9, verses 6 to 8, Altogether, the term Tziva command appears five times throughout chapter 9, verses 5, 6, 7, 10, and 21 not including the variation also of korban, or offering, that appears eight times in verses 2, 5, 7, 8, 9, 15, 16, 17. And this builds up to what we found in Perek Tet, verse 1, from here we see that the essence of Nadav and Aviyu's error lies in not understanding how to properly get close to God. Vayakrivu, they were trying to get as close as possible to Hashem, but asher lo tziva utam. They didn't do this according to the will or command of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They didn't understand that coming close to God depends on following or carrying out the precise commandments of Hashem. Only by virtue of fulfillment of the exact command can one achieve closeness to Hashem. This is a very difficult concept, not only for Nadav and Avihu, but I would like to argue, especially our generation of a postmodern society, wherein everyone tries to identify on their own how to get close to God. But it is precisely the creativity and the substitution of self on the part of Nadav and Avihu, their own version of worshipping HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that Hashem does not want, asher lo tziva utam. 
The beginning of Sefer Vayikra teaches us that although there is some level of human initiation, Adam Kiakriv, man should get close to God, and ideally through a Nidava, through offering korbanot such as the Olah, the Mencha, and the Shlamim, ways that show an initiation of man to the Mikdash. At the same time, we've learned that there are specific laws. If you offer an Olah, it must be male. This is how you have to come to the Mikdash. HaKadosh Baruch Hu begins to teach us about this amorphous, ambiguous concept of Kedusha through mechanical motions of Hashem's command. For after all, Hashem is the source of Kedusha. The death of Nadav and Abihu then result from a fundamental misconception of what Kedusha is all about, what it means to serve Hashem. So today is going to be what I hope will be seen as a groundbreaking shiur in understanding Sefer Bayikra. Bayikra began, as we saw, with very particular karbanot with regard to the individual of Am Yisrael, how each and every person has an opportunity to relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the Mikdash. And the reason why Bayikra began with Adam Kiakri, with the laws of karbanot as opposed to the chronological continuation of the end of Sefer Shemot, namely the Shivati Mehamiluim, was to explain to uh, the regular member of Am Yisrael, to the layman, what Kedusha is all about. We began our shirim and sefer vayikra with an appreciation of the general term of kedusha being the overarching theme of the sefer by discussing how way back in sefer breshit the concept of kedusha was introduced through the context of kedushat hazman followed by kedushat hamakom and sefer shmot and then kedushat haadam atem tiuli mamlechet koanim begoy kadosh. And we explained how Am Yisrael don't necessarily understand what this term of kedusha is albeit based on God. God is the one to sanctify Shabbat, the one to sanctify place, the one to sanctify people. And that's why Hashem assures us, Basuli Mikdash Through this three-dimensional Mikdash, you will grow to understand what Kedusha is all about. And we see that Am Yisrael have to understand stage one of Kedusha is getting close to God based on the mitzvot of Hashem. Everything goes so wonderfully throughout the Shabbat Yom Yom Hashmini, until Nadav and Avihu, until they decide that they're going to now interpret how to get close to God, that they're going to take matters into their own hand and determine that if Hashem came to them in the form of fire, that they will respond through fire. Vayakrivu lefnei Hashem, eish zara asher lo utam. And that's why most of the Parshan Epshat understands exactly this. Asher lot siva utam. What they did wrong was trying to get close to God, but in their own way, and not based on the mandates of Hashem. Now we can understand the subsequent events immediately following the death. Stage number one. Moshe calls Mishael and Altzafan, those that are not Kohanim, to go and remove the corpses of Nadav and Avihu from the Mikdash. For after all, Nadav and Avihu did not properly follow the mandates of what it meant to be a Kohen, to properly serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and in a mechanical, almost robotic manner, follow the mandates of God. That's why Hashem addresses Aharon directly, From now on, no drinking any intoxicating beverage that can perhaps dull your senses prior to coming to the Mikdash, because in the Mikdash, one has to be extra careful to follow the mandates of Hashem. Or let's look carefully again at the 
verbs and words employed. This is clearly my favorite pasuk, and perhaps the most important pasuk in this entire parshia, namely that the Kohanim are going to be the ones responsible for lahavdil, for teaching Am Yisrael how to distinguish between Kodesh and Chol. And the reason I'm so excited about this pasuk is because we finally have a broader context to being able to define what Kedusha is all about. Until now, we didn't find any interpretation. We still aren't going to find a clear interpretation, but at least now we see it in the context of a word that we understand. Ben HaKodesh uven HaChol. Keep in mind that Chol is not a negative term. Rather, Chol means mundane, right? Today being a, a Wednesday. What a wonderful day. I hope that everyone feels that they're getting close to God, maybe through Tzvilah, maybe through Talmud Torah, perhaps through acts of Chesed. All of these are means through which one can get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But if I would sit in bed all day or just sit down and twiddle my thumbs, I wouldn't necessarily be expressing a relationship with God. This is a Yom Chol. As opposed to Shabbat, for example, that is imbued with the Kedusha of God. That means that even if I sit all day and don't do anything, I am exhibiting a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu by virtue of the fact that God infused the day with Kedusha. Or in short, Kudusha is going to be a means defined by God of how one can develop an intense relationship with God, how one can get close with God based on the mandates of Hashem. For the first half of Sefer Vayikra, we're going to see that the basic means through which one gets close to God is through bringing a korban, through coming to the Mikdash. So, Lahavdil ben hakodeshu ben hachol means that one has to be able to distinguish between what God has mandated as being able to come to the Mikdash versus Chol, not necessarily having an intense relationship with God, albeit that relationship and potential thereof certainly exists. This, by the way, is very different than the negative term of halal, which is the opposite of Kedusha. When one, for example, desecrates Shabbat, that's considered chilul of Shabbat. What is this term halal? Even in modern Hebrew, reference to a vacuum or the outer space, halal is an empty space. For in fact, once something is infused with Kedusha, and then one actively removes it, then it becomes chilul. If I take the kedusha of Shabbat and do something to defile that, now what's left is in fact an empty space. So too, a corpse without a neshama is called a halal. Let us continue now within the psukim. If we can understand what this distinction of lahabdil ben hakodesh ben hachol is, maybe we can understand the rest as well. We're back with uh, amorphous concepts, but now we can understand it a little bit better. Tum'ah is not a physical term of cleanliness, of being soiled, but rather tameh is also a God-defined terminology. God defines what is or when someone is tameh, when one is limited from coming to the Mikdash. Once again, one can still express a relationship with God in other ways, but not through the intensive mechanism of the Mikdash. Uvein HaTahor, Tahorah is also defined by God as when one is available to come to the Mikdash, when one is not limited in the relationship based on the mandates of God. In stage number two, Ulahorot Efne Yisrael et kolachukim asher diber Hashem alehem v'yad Moshe. It will be the Kohanim's responsibility, for after all, they're the ones who are going to be most intensively involved with the life of the Mikdash. They're going to be the ones to understand what a code of priestly conduct is about. 
consisting of a demand for sobriety, for strict concern for technicalities, for distinction and minutiae of the law, for the teachings of the Torah to Am Yisrael, to teach them how to be able to separate between Kodesh and Chol. They, therefore, are going to be the ones to instruct Am Yisrael in all these laws. Priesthood here is described as clearly not about the self, not about the desires and needs of the priest. Rather, as the story of Nadav and Aviyu aptly demonstrates, it's about careful adherence to the law, about serving Hashem and the people of Am Yisrael. Only through a Kohen's service of God and the people of Am Yisrael does he merit to come before Hashem. And that is why immediately thereafter Moshe continues with particular laws of what the Kohen must eat, what he must not eat, how he gets angry then at the remaining children of Aharon for, to a certain degree, continuing with what Nadav and Aviyu did, not properly following the statutes of Hashem until Aharon explains otherwise. Immediately thereafter, we're going to hear about the laws of Tuman Tahara with regard to also eating laws. It's interesting then to hear that first the Kohanim are going to have to learn about what they must eat and what they are not allowed to eat from the Karbanot, followed by what Am Yisrael is allowed to eat versus what they're not allowed to eat. And I don't think that it's by chance that the Torah begins by teaching the Kohanim and Am Yisrael how to be sensitive to God-mandated holiness between what is considered Tameh versus what is considered Tahor based on the statutes of Hashem in the realm of eating. For after all, eating is something, especially as Jews, that we know that we do very well and that we do all the time. Note how even a child at a very young age knows the basic laws of kashrut, of basar, and chalav. That is why first the Kohanim are going to teach us about the sensitivity based on the mandates of Hashem, and then we have to learn through food what is considered tameh, what is considered tahor. Why is a cow considered tahor and a horse is considered tameh? Not because one is more beautiful or necessarily healthier than the other, but rather based on the mandates of Hashem. In short, God said so, and that's why we eat some foods and we don't eat others. And just to prove this, the end of the chapter of Machalot Me'ot and Tahorot, the end of chapter Yun Aleph, is a proper bookend, or Chatimah Me'im Ptiha, for the way that this unit began. Perak Yun Aleph Pasuk Mem Zayin, Lahavdil Ben HaTameh Uven HaTahor, Uven HaChaya HaNechelet Uven HaChaya Sherlot HaAchel. The reason for all these laws of the behemah and the oaf and what one is allowed to eat and what one is not allowed to eat is in order for us to develop that sensitivity to distinguish between what God has mandated as tameh versus tahor. The chapters then continue, chapters 12, 13, 14, with different physiological forms of tum'ah. For example, when a woman gives birth, God mandates that she is considered tmeah and therefore cannot come to the mikdash. She may express a relationship with God in so many other means, but based on the commandments of God, is limited from this expression of the mikdash. The chapters then continue with other physiological forms of tumah mandated by God, namely tzara'at, the phenomenon of leprosy, which will also limit a person from coming to the mikdash. These chapters end then with the continuation of the bookend, the end of chapter 14, verse 57, Zot 
This is a perfect closure to the end of the bookend, referring back to chapter 10, verse Yud Aleph, verse 11. It's not enough for Am Yisrael to learn how to distinguish between what is mandated by God as Kodesh versus Hol. They also have to be taught these laws by the Kohanim. And therefore, particularly the laws of Tzarat are going to be diagnosed by none other than the Kohen as an expression of his teaching these laws to Am Yisrael. What a magnificently structured section then teaching us the aftermath of Nadav and Avihu. If one does not properly understand what the mandates of God are, then HaKadosh Baruch so to speak, says, okay, time out, time for me to delineate what these laws are, starting with the Kohen not being able to drink any intoxicating beverage that will inebriate his senses and thereby prevent him from learning and teaching Am Yisrael how to distinguish between these mandates of Hashem. Then we have to be able to distinguish within the realm of eating, followed by all different types of physiological forms of Tum'ah. We're therefore somewhat surprised wherein immediately thereafter we have a continuation of physiological forms of Tum'ah that aren't linked to Lahurot, namely that of the Zav, the Shechvatzerah, the Nida, and the Zava. But this is because these are still going to be states that determine the state of Tum'ah of a person, but the Kohen isn't necessarily the one to diagnose, rather one can diagnose oneself. Immediately following the section then of Tum'at HaGuf, Tum'at Adam, we go back to chapter Tetzayin, Acharei Moch Nebenei Aaron. Now we're ready for the regularly scheduled program, the chronological continuation of Yom Hashmini. And what will Hashem tell Aaron at that time? Bezot Yavo Aaron El HaKodesh. Aaron, I want you to do exactly what Nadav and Abihu did. What they did was beautiful. Come with the Ketoret, come with fire, enter the Kodesh Kodeshim. But this time, it's going to be done al-pi Hashem. It will be done based on the commandments of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, teaching us that Kedusha, the possibility, the potential, the opportunity to develop an intense relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, begins in Sefer Vayikra through the Mikdash and is going to be based on the mandates of God. After all, God is the source of Kedusha. And therefore, we don't determine how to worship Hashem. Hashem determines how we worship Him. And very often, this is a very difficult challenge, especially for us today. We want to express God with tremendous creativity. Sefer Vayikra teaches us, in order to worship God properly, one has to, to a certain degree, even submit oneself to the will of Hashem. At sometimes, even respond in somewhat of a robotic manner, based on, Anna Avdad Kudusha Baruchu, that we are the Avadim of Hashem. And when my students say that this is very difficult, I say that's why it's called Avuda. This is very hard work, hard work that must be learned and taught, firstly by the Kohanim, and therefore they're the role models. As such, HaKadosh Baruch Hu punishes Nadav and Abiyu very, very harshly because they are the priests, they are the role models, but also Yom Hashmini is the first time, the first opportunity that Am Yisrael have to understand what worshiping Hashem through the Mikdash is all about. And therefore, when Nadav and Aviyu initiate, that in itself has to be responded to in order to teach Am Yisrael that stage one is that we don't initiate. We respond to the will of Hashem. Not to worry, because this may sound like a very mechanical, robotic way of worshiping Hashem, which in fact it is for the first 17 chapters of Ayikra, until we're going to see the ends of the first section. Once we learn how to properly worship God 
based on the mandates of Hashem, then we're going to see that there is room for a dynamic relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But we're still in the first section of Sefer Vayikra, and now we understand as we continue within the ensuing parshiot, which we're going to be learning over the next few shiurim, we're going to see how this theme is really concurrent through the end of chapter 17. I look forward to continuing this learning with you, but in the meantime, wishing you all a chag sameach understanding that even when we don't understand all the mitzvot of Hashem, that it is essential that we follow the mandates of God as those that are commanded by God, and this is a secret to coming close to Hashem.